and welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who's been up since midnight and vibing since 3 a.m. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Doing all right, Kieran. Yeah, new T-Swift album this week. It was amazing. I, I True confession, I didn't stay up until 3 a.m. for the bonus tracks, so... Uh, did stay up until midnight, listen to the whole album. It was a great experience. Always and, good day. And uh, we're eventually we will get a review. You, you're just, you want some, yeah, again, some more time? Yeah, again, full transparency. I've only listened to it all the way through once. Uh, I feel like it's going to take another listen to really wrap my mind around it. Not prepared to give my full review, which... Um, I got to take, you know, I got to own that. I should have been prepared to give the people the Midnight's review on this week's pod, but I'm not. Next week, I don't know if anyone will care, but I'll have a full review next week. Well, by next week, she might have another album come out, so maybe we're just (laughs) getting... Well, uh, I'll I'll be honest, another full transparency. I forgot. I forgot that this was coming, and, uh, and so I was on Twitter, and oh! Here we go. I haven't listened to it yet either, but uh, that will come. But I always will see it anything T-Swift to you, Cody. So we'll we'll give the people a little tease there. Um, we're back. We're back after a week hiatus for our buddy Tim's bachelor party. You know, had some tepid Twitter activity there. Don't want you know, didn't want to give away everything, but we enjoyed ourselves on uh, the streets of New Orleans on Bourbon Street in the casino. Uh, had a little mishap, which we will get to later in the episode by your boy over here. But one of the things that we didn't get a chance to talk about because we took this little break was you wrote sort of like a personal column reflection piece on the season and then your experiences. And and I'm so glad you wrote it because it kind of ties in with a lot of stuff that we try to do here is kind of give inside perspective from the insider what's it like to do this how'd you go about this and you know maybe people don't care you know like maybe people don't care like what's what's what does the beat writer go through when the team sucks like you don't have the emotional attachment to it but you tell human stories we're two humans on this podcast it's a game played by humans um i appreciated it obviously so I was wondering if you could kind of expand on it. Why did you decide to kind of write this? There's a great message in there. I don't want to spoil it um, for people that haven't read it yet. If you're an athletic subscriber, you can read it. Um, but what kind of motivated you to write something that was, you know, kind of putting yourself in the story, which is not something that you typically do? Yeah, I think like my girl Taylor, I was just kind of up in my feels at the end of the season. It was a difficult season to cover it was probably unlike any other experience in my career including 2019 and that this team failed to meet expectations which kind of changed the narrative of the year and there was just a lot of weird stuff that happened from Eduardo Rodriguez to Austin Meadows to the firing of Al Avila to just managing kind of relationships with um, players with team employees with with um sources stuff just got kind of got weird and the human element was always very palpable i felt like i was kind of playing a psychology game the whole season trying to figure out um 
who had what agenda and, and I can't really always get too specific there, but there was just a lot going on. It was really challenging and the team was really bad on top of it. There were absolutely days where it wasn't incredibly fun. Uh, so I, I had to return to the perspective of, okay, why am I doing this? Why is this a job that, yeah, I should be lucky to have people don't like to hear, Oh, the whiny sports writer. I know so many people would, uh, would kill to have my job. And I think that's what made this year so interesting from a personal standpoint is, you know, this is what I've always wanted to do. This is what I love. What do you do when it gets hard and how do you manage the intricacies that cover, um, that come with covering a team that underperforms? Like those are things I thought about all year. And I think it hit me a little bit at the end of the year when, you get up. It's weird when you get up after a full season and, oh, you don't have to go to the ballpark today. And I think some of these thoughts really started to settle in. And so I, I just tried to put some of it on paper to cast a better reflection of like what it was like to, to cover the 2022 Detroit Tigers, um, a team that no one on the outside really is going to care about or remember, but that I think I will always remember in my career. I think I learned a lot from it, both in terms of, of, how to do my job, how to manage the relationships and, and yeah, also ultimately reminders of why I'm doing this. Like you have to come back to the love for the game and a love for telling stories um, when things get difficult. What was the response to this? Like uh, from the subs? Um, yeah, it's, it seemed to be really positive. Fun note. I had a few other like anecdotes in there probably a little more, couple more job related, a couple more personal that my editors advised me to cut because they said, you're just giving <laughs> an opening for people to criticize you on the internet. And looking back, that's probably the right call. You know, any little opening people, will, people will take it. Um, I think people who listen to this pod, you know, kind of like the personal insights, but random commenters on the internet, you never know. So the final version was probably a little more toned down. Um, but it seemed to lead to a really positive response like, for all but like two commenters seem to seem to enjoy it and appreciate like the personal <laughs> touch. So again, big thanks to all, all you guys who are reading and listening throughout the season. All you guys who also stayed with the 2022 Tigers, even when it was not the most enjoyable experience, could not be more appreciative. And, and I would not have this job. We would not be doing this podcast without you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were moments that we'll always harken back to the 2022 Tigers. Uh, let's say Scott Harris turns out to be, you know, God's gift to president of baseball ops, you know. Then we're going to harken back to, you know, firing of Al and then hiring of Scott. Miguel Cabrera retires. We're always going to remember 2021 for 500 home runs and 2022 for 3,000 hits. That great moment, you know, the latter one obviously at home, the debut of Riley Green, if Riley Green goes on to to be something special, like, as I kind of reflected, there's, like, this huge gap. Well, I, was, I was actually doing this uh, yesterday. There was, like, this huge gap of, like, do I remember anything specific in, like, July? Like, it all just kind of muds together, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and, it, and then if I were to, you know, get personal for a second, like, that was a time where, like, I was personally, like, relatively alone for long stretches of time because uh, my wife had just taken over, you know, being in charge of, of a clinic, a veterinarian clinic. And so she's 
you know, working 12, 13 hour days and, you know, all this stuff. So I was kind of like alone in my own thoughts. And then I was like, you know, I like to watch the Tigers and then the third inning, they're down six to two. And it's like, dang, it's really depressing. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, let me cling to something here. It's also kind of like a dead time in terms like I'm a big sport. Obviously, I'm a sports junkie. It's a dead time. You know, for like, you know, there's not really anything. There's no NFL training camp hasn't started yet. You know, no hockey, you know, basketball. There's, you know, out there the first part of the month. Like it's, it's just kind of a dead period. And, and it was just like an odd time uh, for me personally. And so I would try to be like a positive person. And so I'll, we'll always remember like Riley Green catches, like sending buddies clips of, you know, him diving his home run and, you know, stuff that you've written about as well. You know, that's all well and good, but it was just a strange year to have things that we'll always remember, but like a team that will be largely forgettable, (laughs) or at least hopefully. Um, Speaking of Riley Green, you wrote about him this week, and it, it got, I thought he was pretty transparent. You can tell, I think. Tell me if I'm wrong. You can tell that he is not to the point where uh, he doesn't feel like he doesn't have that mechanism to like stop sharing, if that makes sense. Like like a seasoned vet would. Uh, he was rather reflective. Not everybody is. We've talked about people on this podcast who are not. He was rather reflective. I thought he was pretty honest um, in self-evaluation and... There were a couple of interesting tidbits there. You kind of brought us into the scene of him by his locker after, you know, the final game of the season and some of the things that he's went through. I got to say, I know he went through some ups and downs, ups and downs this year, but I saw enough. I saw enough to leave me thinking, all right, we're, we're, we're on the right track here. And can't say that about Torkelson. We'll probably talk about that various times throughout the offseason. But Riley Green met my expectations, whether his numbers, whether you want him to do better at this or, you know, you really need to get this right in order to take, you know, several next steps over the next several years. But he met my expectations, and we'll get into some numbers here in a second. But you reflect on Riley Green's season. I thought it was actually kind of a great metaphor for – uh the play he gets hurt, he gets a triple, not a home run. He gets a triple. He doesn't score, you know. So it's like just not quite what we wanted. This whole 2022 Tigers, uh, Tigers obviously didn't hit a triple this year. If we're doing that metaphor, but you see what I'm saying. Uh, how do you kind of reflect on what you saw from Riley Green, especially kind of deal, uh, not dealing with him, but seeing him talking to him on a pretty consistent basis. Yeah, you know, I think talking to Riley about his rookie season, the most compelling answer he gave was his answer to the first question that was super open-ended, like, what are you going to take away from this year? And he went on to kind of talk about the the highs and the lows and um, started off good, and then he, he struggled and was kind of trying to do too much, admitted he was trying to hit more home runs instead of singles or doubles. You know, I don't know that he got super deep into what it was all like from a personal human standpoint, but it must have been a whirlwind for him. Uh, number one, after he got hurt, was probably two to three 
lonely months in Lakeland where he's probably alone watching the Tigers lose. And I'm sure he wasn't mm-hmm. thinking I could be there making a difference. And then he comes and plays in the big leagues and it, it must have just all happened really fast. Look, the numbers, I know they end up being somewhat overwhelming. The power wasn't really there, but he, you know, he hit 250 with good on base numbers. Um, everyone wanted him to be Julio Rodriguez and, and, I'll always wonder what happened had he not gotten hurt. You know, I think that changed the course of his year. He had to get back into baseball shape. Still played pretty well. Julio Rodriguez really struggled for the first, like, six weeks of the season. Was, I think, hitting under 200. Then ended up going off. Uh, So I I still believe that level of ability could be there with Riley Green. Uh, I hope I'm not being a a homer or overly optimistic. I think we've... We've all, as Tigers beat writers, fans, really learned like the dangers of hyping prospects over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my baseball eye still tells me so many good things about Riley Green. I think we saw the flashes. We saw the highlight catches. We saw the big home runs. We also saw smaller moments. Just every, he, every now and then he would have a really good at bat where you could see him fighting off pitches, where you could see him learning from the slider away and making the adjustment either in that at bat or in his next at bat. I think you saw the league uh, start attacking him, you know, with pitches in under his hands and he slowly adjusted to that. He did get way too chase heavy, kind of made an adjustment back later in the season. Like he showed the ability to battle and to adjust, which cliche as it is, is what this game is about. He showed that Let's be honest, in ways Spencer Torkelson did not come anywhere close to showing that. And every now and then he would flash the high-end ability. So I still think Riley Green is is, um, a big positive from this year, and you can feel really optimistic about him going into next season. I I look at if a thing or two clicks for him at the plate, um, he could really get going. The power numbers are interesting. It really wasn't there. His average launch angle was like two point something degrees. He was really beating the ball into the ground, uh, which is something he was doing even in AAA upon his return from the foot injury. So you're going to want to see that change. I don't, Riley has such a pretty swing. I don't want to mess with his swing. Maybe that's a, um, a function of, of pitch selection and getting more pitches he can elevate. I think that's one thing to watch. He, he can't have a 2.5 launch angle. He's going to hit too many ground balls. Otherwise, Man, he proved he can handle center field just fine. Uh, I think I only see signs that this kid has what it takes to be a really good player. Maybe we'll learn what that ultimate ceiling is. Is it a really good player or is it an MVP type player? Maybe we don't quite know that yet, but uh, man, I, I feel really good about Riley Green. And I think the ups and downs of his rookie year only help. I think it only allowed him to show more signs that he can do it at this level. You have a nice little graphic in in your story. Uh, percentile rankings for Riley Green. He's in the seventy seventh percentile uh, for hard hit percentage. It's pretty good. Eighty two percentile for max exit velocity. Sixty percentile for barrel rate. You know you gotta strike out less. You gotta whiff less. You alluded to that. Um, if we go to defense here for a second, um, his jumps are great. 82 percentile arm strength above average 67 percentile and surprises seven, me actually yeah well okay well go into that why does that surprise you oh, i just i just always thought his arm is probably his weakest tool i'm not even trying to no, I no, average, I just, an average at best arm so 
Yeah, because I mean, I've talked about this for you know multiple years now in this podcast. I was like, how good of an arm is it? Like I always ask, and now I look at that, I'm like, okay, so above average arm, we'll yeah. take it, right? Um, and 76 percentile outs above average. When I look at these, and I read him talking about like trying to hit home runs, and sort of not taking what the pitcher's giving him or whatever. To me, because I'm not going to try to get technical with, like, how does he need to improve as a hitter. I'm going to use more philosophy. That's just that's just how I roll. To me, he's got to kind of funnel and find the right aggression. Because I think he has enough natural power that he doesn't really need to try to hit home runs, if that makes sense. Like, And he's got good enough instincts that when he finds his pitch and he's locked and he's loaded and you know his all you know all the form he's been working on is good he's gonna get there um so he doesn't have in my opinion he doesn't have to try to do it like i think it's gonna come i don't think any of us have visions of him being a 50 home run guy 40 home run guy you know so in my opinion i would just say let this is a weird term but just hit natural home runs if that makes sense and, you know, get your doubles and, you know, he's got, you know, good enough speed to get a triple even with a fracture in his foot as we saw in spring training. And I think that might be the one of the, the keys for him is to just kind of trust in your abilities. I know it's way easier said than done because it's a game of failure. You're, especially as a rookie, you're trying to prove yourself. How do you prove yourself in 2022 baseball? You hit home runs, right? But I don't think he needs to try to be that kind of player. I think he just kind of needs to be the the player that he's been his entire life, and that will be enough, and he'll hit his 25. He'll get to 30 as he gets a little older and a little stronger and, and that sort of thing. Um, as someone who has a better baseball than I, I than I do and someone who looks at these numbers more in depth than I do, is that does that kind of make sense? No, totally. I mean – yeah, he's he's a very natural hitter. He has kind of that, uh, I think, like a Nick Castellanos level of power. Hopefully, he ends up being a more disciplined hitter than Nick, and he's a more <laughs> complete player all around than Nick. Mm-hmm. Think about Miguel Cabrera. His whole career, he's mostly just hit natural home runs, and he's done that more than 500 times. So, uh, that sort of approach can absolutely play in this league. You know, he's got the sweet left-handed swing. Like I'm, I'm not worried about him at all. Um, also, he had 250 as a rookie in the major leagues. That's really hard. That's still kind of a win. And um, for this Tigers team, he was arguably their best offensive player. When you look at the f- final numbers, I get like, uh, maybe it leaves some to be desired, but um, not going to go knocking what Riley Green did. Just can't. No, 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 not, not at all. And I'm sorry, like there's got to be some sort of curve as well in regards to having your routine interrupted by a fracture in your foot. And then I'm not saying he rushed back or anything, but if you were 22 years old and you were trying to make your major league debut, would you try to rush back? I know I would. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, I have no idea if he did, but like, you know, I'm just saying like that was probably, I'm, I would just say that would be the human instinct, especially the competitive, alpha male you know that these guys are like that's exactly what you know would i think would be reasonable to do i I always find the 
the psychology of players interesting. Like I've seen guys who were perfectionists and they overthink it to the point that they, they shoot themselves in the, I don't want to say the foot, but yeah, in the foot. Riley is a perfectionist <laughs> because I know he's that guy who, if he's one for three, he goes home and is mad at himself. I think Ryan Kreidler told me that pretty much exactly. Um, whereas I always thought Spencer Torkelson was a little more carefree, a little more, I'll brush it off. This year, I think we saw maybe things get in Torque's head more than he had ever let on. And then also maybe, I don't know, why did Torque not adjust more throughout the course of the year? Maybe he needs uh, to have more of a fire under him. I love Riley's mindset. Like, this is this is a dude who I think really wants to be the best, who has that perfectionist drive. Again, I have seen people be overly perfectionist in baseball, so it's it's a fine line. But so far, I really like how Riley approaches things. You think you're an over-perfectionist with your writing? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so you can relate. You can relate. I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who are overly you know, perfectionist in whatever their profession is. Uh, just real quick, can we give a shout-out to A.J. Hinch? And t- speaking of you know psychology, like the the stuff that he had to deal with with this team, I think w- might just be worth a mention because you got Torque, high prize recruit, um, or not recruit, uh, draft pick prospect, and then you know just kind of goes into the tank, right? And then you have Riley Green, who you know starts behind the curve because of the injury, and then goes through his ups and downs, and you gotta you know be able to manage him and. And figure out, you know, what the best way to communicate, push buttons, you know, do whatever with him. And then, of course, the Javi Baez thing and Miguel Cabrera and, like, all these things. Sorry, AJ, man. I don't know if we really recognize how much of a challenge that... I mean, in general, I'm sure it is for every team. But this team, that since we're talking about them, this must have been one hell of a way to to manage. I think, was it John Wooden who said, I don't have the same rule for everybody I have... Uh, 12 rules for 12 players talking about the the Bruins basketball team I feel like AJ probably had to have you know go up to 40 you know like 40 (laughs) no he's like how do you manage Miguel Cabrera and Riley Green and Torkelson and Javi Baez that doesn't even start touching on Eduardo and Meadows and 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 we only know the half of it man there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that we we probably don't know Um, sometimes AJ mentions like uh yeah this will be in my book um i don't know when that book is gonna come out it's gonna be a long book i feel like <laughs> um i hope he lets me write it aj probably doesn't need my help he's probably a better writer than i am but i, I aj i hope you're listening to this right now like i don't know you're, i know you're about to go to korea i hope you're just like in your backyard like bourbon in hand just kicking back maybe with the wife just i just hope you're you're able to be carefree for a week or two man That'd be great. Speaking of Korea, <laughs> talk about a random tidbit of news. Uh, <laughs> I was not, I was not expecting that. Is there any light to be shed on that, like him getting selected and what this is all about? No, yeah, and literally, I, I like got a press release. The phone went off, and I was like, AJ Hinch will manage in the Korea series. And I was like, wait, is this, is he managing Team Korea in the WBC? I was like, no, that's not what this is. And I was. like, I guess I was ignorant in the fact I had no idea the Korea series was a thing, but basically a kind of a almost like an old school barnstorming tour. A few <laughs> players just going to Korea for 
a few games, um, and AJ's going to be the manager. No, AJ, you know, cultured guy, likes to travel, I'm sure. That's probably why he leaped at the opportunity. Um, so I, I guess that's cool, but yeah, I was like totally surprised by that and had to literally go look up what it was. <laughs> yeah, I love the barnstorming reference there. Uh, I, I was The only thing I thought was, oh, cool, you know, Tiger's in the news for something positive, you know, you know, same... Same thing uh, when I see Curtis Granderson on TV, uh, even though obviously he bounced around and had some good years with the Yankees. That's probably more why he's on TV. But, you know, I still say he's one of our own. Love Curtis Granderson. Shout out Curtis Granderson, friend of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Another super random nugget. You know, I've been watching these post-game shows on playoff games, and I think they try to make it a little too hard, like inside the NBA-ish. But I I love watching, like, A-Rod and Pedro and David Ortiz riff off each other. I, oh, I love yeah. it. Now they've been doing this, like quizzing them, like, do you know the city? And it is painful. You know, they'll be, <laughs> they'll be like, you know, these guys just don't know anything about like the world. I mean, they didn't know the movie Anchorman. It was in San Diego. They showed a picture of Ron Burgundy. They said, what movie is this? No one knew what it was. You know, they showed Independence <laughs> Hall in Philadelphia. Um, I guess, you know, David and Pedro weren't born in the U.S., so maybe that makes it a little different, but. It's okay. A Rod finally got it after like f- three minutes of just everyone sitting here. Like they, these guys know nothing, which also shows you about the life baseball players. It's play. a fifty-fifty shot, guys. We're talking about Padres versus Phillies. Uh, <laughs> speaking of trying too hard, I, I gotta agree with the crowd on this one, Code. We're, we're rambling right now, but that's okay. We'll get back on track here it's in a second. The off season. It's the off season. I gotta agree with. I gotta agree with the folks on the Twitter sphere. About Bob Costas calling games, I just, I just wasn't about it. Like I have a lot of respect for Bob Costas. I have a lot of respect for um, anyone who can have the variety of roles in television and sports broadcasting that he's had over the years. But fun fact, you got to start play calling, uh, or not play calling, play by play for this uh, Spirit of St. Louis in the ABA. Nice little ESPN documentary about that. It just didn't feel like I was watching a baseball game. It felt like some weird guy at the bar that just like kept talking and kept saying things that like if you're watching a baseball game, even if it's the playoffs, like in theory, like you're probably talk your your audience is some people who know. You know, they know you know, they know their baseball, you know. And some some of the stuff he was saying was just like so surface level and he kept like emphasizing it like it was like here comes the big punchline about the 1919 world series you know you know what happened in the 1919 world series let me tell you and then you know he'd say something ron darling who by the way is good on tv is like yep and then costas <laughs> would keep going and uh, like it just didn't really seem to fit yankee people were criticizing him for like giving too much yankee history it's like we know it we know our base you know i understand it's a national broadcast but I don't know. It's one for me. He's not doing it anymore. And as soon as the CS started, the broadcast got a lot better. I hate to be one of those guys that just like chats all over, uh, you know, a broadcasting icon. I'm pretty sure he's, you know, in in the broadcaster's wing of the Hall of Fame. But I just it, it just didn't work. I I just thought it was like listening to 1940s radio. It's like we were advanced as viewers beyond that. That's just me. You don't have to say anything about that if you don't want to. But that was just me. I like it a lot better with him uh, no longer doing play-by-play. And 
<laughs> and another tidbit, when you're talking about ball players not knowing anything, it reminds me of. I feel like I'm gonna like get in trouble for that somewhere. I don't mean to insult like ball players or professional athletes. I know many of them no, are well no, read, no. very cultured people. Uh, I'm no, sure David no. Ortiz and Pedro Martinez are very, very smart, intelligent men. Again, I love listening to them, but they, like, they put they, on, they, you know, they, they put you're, on you're the just you, you live in this insulated world where you don't know what the movie Anchorman is. It's just different. Yeah. Well, again, when Keith Hernandez went on Seinfeld, he had no idea anything about the show. <laughs> and at that Great time, point. it was like the number one you know show yeah. in the world. And he and his thing was like we're ball players, we play at night, like we don't like you know and at that time there's no Hulu or anything like that. So but that just goes to show you, like, yeah, they are like insulated in their own world and you know, I would my bigger criticism is like you got a fifty fifty shot on some of this stuff, like come on. A Rod A Rod did know the movie Top Gun. Uh David Ortiz kinda got, they just showed a picture of a polar bear and he was like, The zoo. I don't know if he knows that the San Diego zoo was famous, but he got the zoo. Okay. Um, oh, there was something else really easy that none of them got. It's it's not coming <laughs> to me, but in a way, it may, no, it wasn't entertaining to watch. They need to stop doing it. It's been cringeworthy. It's been bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, since we're just talking about some some random national stuff here, I'm gonna keep us off track just for a second, and then we'll get back on track with some tiger stuff, and then a little <laughs> little Nola nugget. You know, I've I've seen I've seen some criticism about the new MLB playoff format, and funny how that happens when the victims of it are New York and Los Angeles-based teams. But regardless, um, saw some saw some people pushing back, and it's like, is this really what we want? You know, the the you know I thought the regular season is supposed to matter, and you have these hundred plus win teams that go out and this. You know, kind of short format. You lose one game, and then you're, like, up against it, blah, blah, blah. And I got to tell you, I'm not really here for that. I'm not here for that criticism. Like, if they changed it back or, you know, whatever, like, I wouldn't care. But so what is kind of my response. There are a million examples of, quote, unquote, not the best team winning the World Series. Here's a number for for everybody. Since they got rid of the, you know, just the pennant winners face uh, face off in the World Series 1969 up until last year, the team with the best record in baseball won the World Series just 14 out of 52 times. 27%. You know, we we don't have to remind people how bitter it was to lose in the World Series in 2006 to the Cardinals when the Tigers were clearly the better team throughout this throughout the year. But you know, that's how it goes. We romanticize the New York Yankees dynasty. Their last World Series win in 2000 of that core, they only won 87 games that season. Wow! But we were you were we romanticized them as being like this juggernaut, which end results dictate they were but i don't know i just feel like this is an example of maybe people being ignorant to history or just looking for something to complain about Uh, i just i'm just not here for anyone thinking like this is a lesser postseason because the dodgers uh didn't make it to the league championship series i'm just not here for it sorry 
Yeah, I, I think it's worth... Like, it's a flaw, somewhat of a flaw in the game that the best teams don't always make it to the World Series, but, I mean, I guess you could go back to a... You only have a World Series. Yeah, just I don't pennants. think that would be very fun, you know? Um, it's it's an interesting, like, quirk of the game. What I don't like is attributing it to the new playoff format, to expanded playoffs, because for some reason we're acting like this is a new uh, phenomenon when it's not. I was a fan of the 90s and early 2000s Braves who won one World Series. They're done. You know, people forget. They, they were good enough to win multiple. of division wins. Yes, their streak of division wins went into 2003 when they won 101 games. Guess who won that World Series? The Florida freaking Marlins. Yeah, they lost in the you first know, round to the We saw the Angels go to the World Series. They lost in the first round to the 88-win Chicago Cubs. It's kind of frustrating. Braves were the better team. You get matched up against Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor. Boom, you're out. Um, but this is not new. You know, the, the Red Sox broke the curse as a wild card team. Granted, they won 98 games, but take away the wild card, that, that's never happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I do agree that the unpredictability of MLB playoffs is part of its allure. I really struggle watching the first and second rounds of NBA playoffs now because pretty much know who's going to win, you know? Um, so I, I get the argument. I do. I wish there were a way to ensure teams that were the best throughout the regular season got into the World Series. But I guess the bottom line is play better in the playoffs. That's really my take. And I know that's kind of an overly simplistic take, but sometimes that's what it comes down to. Play better in the playoffs. You don't got to worry And you still it. got multiple chances here. You know, like, you do. I mean, it's, you know, football one and done, NCAA tournament one and done. You know, like, it. That's that's the way it goes. I don't know. People criticize like when they brought back when they brought in the wild card. I mean, that was a huge thing. Fun fact, you know the World Series, the first World Series that featured two wild card teams. Uh, I'm not coming up with it off the top of my head. 2002. Okay. Angels and Giants. Angels, Giants. Yeah. First first World Series with two. Guess wild what? That Angels run was really fun. A yeah, lot of people was. still remember it. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was uh Barry Bonds still yeah. At the peak of his powers, and so yeah. All right, well, let's get the, the Oakland, the Moneyball A's won 103 regular season games that year. Moneyball A's never made it to a World Series. Another prime example. This isn't new. I don't think they were particularly close either. Uh, like in the like league championship series or no. anything. Uh, than when they've made it in the past. Anyway, no, let's get back to some Tigers talk here, Cody. Speaking of reflection, we've done a lot of reflecting on this podcast. Speaking of reflection, uh, I think you had the best lead you've ever written when you uh, did your looking back on season predictions. I'm just going to read it verbatim. Sometimes life comes down to how you handle taking L's. Ouch. And uh, there were a lot of L's for the Tigers this year, and there were some L's with everybody who predicted anything in the realm of Rosie. Uh, didn't really go that way. Uh, some of them were hilarious to look back on. Just, you know, Riley Green makes the opening day roster. That obviously would have happened. Uh, Spencer Torkelson, his 25-plus home runs. And as a Rookie of the Year finalist, that one was hard. Yikes. Any five wins for the Tigers. Just yep. missed the playoffs. <laughs> Miguel Cabrera's final season. Uh... Javi having uh, four war. K 
Casey Mize becomes the ace. Ouch. Jamer Candelario doesn't get an extension. Robbie Grossman gets <laughs> gets another year in Ouch. the D. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the last one was something that could happen, but it, w- it wasn't going to happen by now. Most likely, George Lombard uh, gets a managerial job. So when you look back on that, uh, <laughs> how did you feel? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was like, what, what was I thinking in like December, January? Was I really coming from an objective place when I thought all that? And then I was like, well, most of it. Yeah. Like Spencer Torkelson, who would have thought he would have had this level of failure. I, you know, again, I wasn't penciling the Tigers into the playoffs. I thought they'd be close. I had kind of even come down from 85 wins by spring training because I was concerned about the team's offense. I never would have imagined this team just falling apart the way it did. You know, Casey Mize becoming an ace, that, that's worth being skeptical because the metrics did not paint a a positive portrait of that. Javi having four war, that was, that was always a little optimistic. It wasn't out of the realm of possibility. He's done it before, but, you know, that was a best-case scenario. So, I don't know. It's, it's just another idea of how, wow, just everything possible went wrong and not only did jamer candelario not earn a contract extension he's probably getting non-tendered because that's how bad he was <laughs> yeah well sometimes it's important to note when you get something wrong uh i own it, it. it, well, own it. well a everyone's got to own it and b you gotta think like was my thought process something i would stand by and i thought a lot of them for you, yes, would stand by the thought process. You could argue that this could be, this should be Miguel Cabrera's last year. Not gonna happen, it looks like, but should be Miguel Cabrera's last year. Um, and your thought process with Torkelson was, you know, no one thought that one was like way over the top when you, when you published it, you know. So sometimes, sometimes stuff happens. So I was trying to think. You mentioned earlier about how Tigers media, Tigers fans, people in the organization just have just gone way too far obviously guilty as charged here way too far on hyping prospects and what are the lessons we got to tamper expectations we got to tamper timelines and not anoint people and you know this that the other thing i think there's some lessons from from all of our expectations on the team in general this past season and what played out um one of them is models are models for a reason uh just like polling data you know and election stuff that stuff's just not made out of thin air and if it doesn't go the way the polls indicated it doesn't mean the poll was bs right like these these things are way down to a science uh more complicated than i understand nor would even try to explain but they are way down to a science these models exist for a reason and the models were more correct than than we were another thing that lesson i kind of took from it is be wary of another team's cast off i don't i'm thinking of tucker when i think of this Mm -hmm. and i don't want to be overly harsh about it but yeah you know the reds just kind of gave him away to be honest and so you know, maybe maybe next time there's that kind of situation, maybe have a little bit. Maybe don't think it's like, oh, pfft, easy, easy money. You know, I'm gonna get this bet or whatever. You know, so 
maybe that's a lesson. And it doesn't necessarily directly equate to this Tigers team. But you know when something happens to, to you or your favorite team, you sort of have the expectation that, oh, it could definitely be done again. So one of my uh, lessons was uh, J.D. Martinez doesn't grow on trees. So like every so and that kind of also goes into I know he wasn't like a draft prospect for the Tigers, but it kind of plays into the same emotion. You can't just think like there's a, all these diamonds in the rough that your team has like discovered or whatever. You know, like yeah. those the J.D. Martinez example is far on the end of the spectrum of rare. You don't just like sign somebody to a minor league contract and then blink and he's a five-time all-star three-time silver slugger and you know all, all that kind of stuff mvp candidate you know all those things so those are my those are my lessons i'm gonna try to keep with me moving forward cody uh, i'm probably gonna fail at those but i those are the ones i'm gonna try i'm gonna try to keep that in mind moving forward <laughs> yeah i mean i think the playoffs show so many lessons in roster building i tweeted a couple nights ago about jeremy pena tigers have been desperate for a shortstop for a long long time and they were super desperate this past offseason, but they didn't want to pay for Correa, so you end up giving six years to Javier Baez so that you came away with someone. And granted, at the time, I said, look, they got to sign someone. You can't not sign a shortstop. I said that. Um, but the Astros were like, eh, we'll give Correa a kind of mediocre offer, and we'll let him walk, and we'll play this third-round pick at shortstop. He's going to be a rookie. Well, Jeremy Pena was worth 3.4 FWAR and is now tearing it up in the playoffs. He's better than Riley Green or Spencer Torkelson in terms of their rookie years, and he is uh, more productive than Javier Baez. And it's because Houston has a better overall organizational plan and process. Yeah, and an example of taking another team's cast off, uh, the Yankees are really lamenting Josh Donaldson right now. Yankees fans, I should yeah. say. Um at least uh at least tucker didn't cost 22 million dollars that's true <laughs> <laughs> and uh so yeah i mean those are those are important things to know uh speaking of correa it every single time he's sorry cats are playing around here i thought maybe they broke in and was taking down some of my nice sports memorabilia nope not the case speaking of correa every time he's on tv Every time there's any sort of information about him, Tiger Swear's going to go nuts, talk about, like, let's go get him, you know, blah, 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 blah. Can we just, I don't want to say put to rest, because you never know what can happen, but can we just say, like, what is this, like a 2 out of 10 chance of happening? Yeah, I don't I don't get the sense that's going to happen. Even though, again, I'm kind of saying, uh, kind of think maybe the Tigers should go get a shortstop. I don't. If they do, I don't think it's going to be Correa. And I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. Like, going to go to GM meetings uh, in early November. We'll see if Scott Harris reveals like anything about his thought process. But yeah, two out of ten is it's 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 a long shot. And it's a I, long shot. And and I would just say that would be a rather aggressive move out of the gate for a first time president of baseball ops because. Unless it's one of those one-in-one contracts, you know, I guess whatever in that regard. If Correa just kind of does like the LeBron James thing uh, when he was with Cleveland the second time, where it's just 
play, one year deal, player option, one year deal, player option, one year deal, player option. It's not really how Boris likes to do it most of the time. Yeah, so he probably won't. He'll probably look in the cash in when the market is basically him. Uh, you know, save some other guys, and I just that would be a big balls moment for Scott Harris, I, and you know, it would be exciting. Everyone would sing his praises, and you know, this, that, the other thing. But that, I just feel like that's a really aggressive move for you know your first big time free agent signing. Let's put it like this. Let's not hype that up or go too far down that rabbit hole unless there's some real indication that it might actually happen. And right now there is absolutely zero indication of that. He's not, Korea didn't have another kid, did he? So AJ doesn't have to like meet him for lunch and, and give him like some uh, baby shower gift or anything. Uh, I, I, you know, AJ could probably find an excuse to like have <laughs> breakfast with him, although they might do it in private next time, you know, <laughs> and come over to the house and I'll <laughs> scramble some eggs for you. <laughs> you think, you think AJ likes mimosas? I don't really picture him as a mimosa guy, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. if you're listening, AJ, you know, let us know. Let us know. We want to know whether AJ Hinch is a mimosa guy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, other Tigers of news of note, Jonathan Scope is a finalist for the Gold Glove Award, second base in the American League. Congratulations to Jonathan. It's also one of those things where it's like, I would love to celebrate this a lot more if uh, he was just, just a little bit more of a well-rounded player this year, uh, obviously talking about his struggles at the plate. But, you know, what, hey. I, I talked about AJ with the Korea series. Is it Korea or Korean? The Korea series, uh, you know, getting the Tigers in the national spotlight. So happy for Jonathan Scope to be named a finalist for the second consecutive year. That's actually hard to find how often somebody's a finalist. Uh, um, he was one in 2020. He wasn't one last year because, if you recall, he was playing first base. First yeah. base. yeah, that's right. For some reason. Yeah, that's right. So... Essentially, back-to-back years of full-time second base work, being a Gold Glove finalist. You have any indication or any guess as to his chances of winning that? Um, it, it, it's hard to know. You know, the formula I think is like seventy-five percent voted on by major league managers and coaches, and then somehow incorporates the like the fielding bible statistics. It's tough to know. I think Jonathan Scope should probably win it. He led all of baseball and outs above average. Defensive runs saved. It's it's a little closer between him and like Andres Jimenez. Um, but I think he was probably the best defensive second baseman in baseball this year. I don't think offense should play into it. No, and no, 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 no. I kind of think he's not going to win it because some people are going to be like, well, he, he didn't hit. And I think that's stupid. Like, this is the Gold Glove Award. Yeah. I don't think anything else should be looked at. Uh, but I think given the overall context, I would not be surprised if he is not the winner if it goes to like a Jimenez or, or Marcus Simeon. Well, a lot of times. And then Simeon's like the biggest name. Yeah. Like that, that happens too. So I don't know. Well, there's a lot of perception involved in that. So like if you're, it's an offensive game and if you're a poor hitter, you're, even if your defense is stellar, like you're sort of looked lesser right even though it should be a purely defensive award i agree with you um speaking of Simeon, he's got a new manager i think this is kind of interesting interesting hire by the by the texas rangers we can spend just a minute or two on this uh hiring bruce bouchy uh out of retire bochi excuse me uh out of retirement 
to a three-year contract. First kind of big move for Chris Young uh, in the post-John Daniels era. This is a team that spent a lot of money, but... You know, probably where they were expecting a little bit more. Obviously, when you fire your GM and your manager, you're expecting things to be a little bit better, right? So, what? any thoughts on that hire? I think my initial takeaway as a journalist was like, Texas Rangers are so good and streamlined in their, in their messaging process. They put out a, a release. No one broke the story. They put out a release that included the contract terms i thought that um, too i assume bruce was okay with that and everyone signed off on that and I, i'm sure not that wouldn't happen in every organization but i've covered the rangers again as an intern and i can just tell you the way the it's it's hard to describe but like the flow of communication in that organization is really good and uh they're they're from the top down and their pr manager john blake does a great job uh they give out i think more information in terms of sometimes salaries and signing bonuses and contract link Mm -hmm. sometimes on the record sometimes you would get an email then it would say hey this is just from a source but like here's here's what you guys can put and by putting it out there it saves you a lot of confusion and stress as we have seen not just with aj hinch's contract no one ever knew how long alavila's contract actually was for a fact um we don't know scott harris is right no idea what Scott Harris's contract is. And I think at the end of the day, that just leads to speculation. I think that um, there are other smaller examples. And and I hope that's something Scott Harris can kind of improve is just like there needs to be a process for how these things are laid out and what's given to the public. And, and um, that's something like only three people on earth care about. Bruce Bochy, I think it's a really good hire. Obviously, proven manager, won three World Series with the Giants um experience hand to a club that has some veteran player kind of a weird mix of highly paid vets and young guys still trying to prove themselves two very different personalities and Corey Seager is probably a little more like like the Javi Baez-esque and then Marcus Simeon who's a little more um who's a good comparison I don't know Simeon's like very detail oriented from what I understand I don't think it's an easy job, but it's it's a good job. You have some talent. You have ownership that's proven it's willing to spend. And, you know, they've kind of fluctuated back and forth from Ron Washington to Jeff Bannister, who was too uptight, to Chris Woodward, who was too loose. And now you get someone who I think is going to go in with a plan, going to go in not having to prove themselves. They're going to go in with instant credibility. I think it's a good fit. This feels like a move to me that indicates they're looking to like seriously contend. Three-year contract well, experience. Yeah, so was signing Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager, and well, I still have my, well, you my t- doubts about it. You talk to people around here, and they were like, no, 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 this year is still more of a transition, you know, blah, blah, blah. They, they weren't like hyping that up all that much, but I think when yeah. you hire a World Series winning manager, uh, which, by the way, did he manage Chris Young? I should have researched that before. Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe he did. Yes. Yeah. So... You, you hire him, World Series winning manager with his payroll. It seems like there's a sense of – only three-year deal. Three-year deal. seems like a sense of urgency. Okay. A little little New Orleans tidbit. Uh, as I put on my Instagram account, which if you want to follow me there, I'm not a very interesting follow, but you know if you want to follow me there, it's just at Kieran Steckley. Um, as I put on Instagram, we had a great time. Uh, lost money. Lost sleep. Uh, did not lose my phone. That's a joke. My 
my wife at her bachelorette party lost her phone as soon as they entered Bourbon Street on like the first night. She's had it. She had it in her back pocket. Why would you have your phone in your back pocket? Like I guess you just can't. Just can't be done. Just can't be done. I've, I've never lost my phone. I've done plenty of dumb stuff yeah. while under the influence. I've, I've never lost my phone. It's generally something I like. Make sure I know where yeah, it is. Exactly. So. so I was like, knock on wood. I'll probably lose my phone <laughs> like in Vegas or something. Like that. So. So yeah, so uh, didn't lose my phone, and uh, I came away with a little bit of an injury. Um, it's a little. Uh, <laughs> Cody and I uh, were leaving the casino Sunday during the day, like early evening. Uh, we had been watching NFL games at, at the sports book, really nice sports book over there at I don't know where we're supposed to call it Caesar's Hera. But I mean, Harris. it's like owned the by Caesar's Ce- Sportsbook at Harris. Okay, well, the, the whole thing's owned by Caesar's now, so it's confusing. Just saying, oh, but the, yeah, Har- no, the Harris ca- Harris Casino, really nice sportsbook. Watching NFL games, a lot of the guys from the bachelor party, including the bachelor Tim, were uh, were leaving. Cody and I stayed an extra night, and uh, so we're going back to the hotel to just kind of recharge and, and and all that stuff. And you know, it rained for like forty minutes. It stopped raining. We were crossing the street. I was trying to find the place where, like, the puddle was short, so I wouldn't step in it. But I was like, oh, I can jump over this. And, you know, I had, a, I had a few pops in me, and I hadn't eaten anything all day. I had a few pops in me. And uh, I made it over on the other side of the curb. However, it was slick AF, and I just collapsed on myself and screwed up my left knee cody you got a front row seat to it i feel like you should probably describe this. yeah like i was a little bit behind kieran and i think i just walked slightly to the left where it was kind of a shorter just took like one big step onto the <laughs> curb uh you know kieran for some reason didn't do that but let me tell you it was an ugly fall like you kind of saw his knee buckle and there's kind of the gutter right there i thought your leg went into the gutter for a little bit i was like are we gonna have to like pull him out um I was impressed by how quickly you got up. You know, you bounced right up. You were drenched, you know, <laughs> soaking wet. Um, but, you know, I thought you bounced right up. You were ready for the next play. I was laughing as you fell. And I was like, <laughs> okay, he seems to be good. He's fine. And, you know, there was like a random kind of older couple there. Just like, like oh, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> like, like a little bit, you know, a little bit concerned. Um, wasn't your finest moment, no. you know. But I thought you are all right. Yeah. And then the next day, we weren't getting around so well. Yeah, the next day when we're flying out, I was I, 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 I just go, uh, my knee is a problem. It was like swollen. <laughs> I could barely move it. I mean, it, it hurt the rest of the day, but like it obviously like overnight, like it was it like swelled up even more. And then what's the worst thing you can do for something like that? Oh, get on a plane. So I got on a plane and, um, you know, I'm talking to people like, you know, did you did you hear a pop? That's that I, I it's every single time I told somebody I busted my knee and how it happened. Did you hear a pop? It's like I didn't hear anything, dude. Like I smacked the concrete. There's it's <laughs> it's you know it's New Orleans. There's noise outside. There's cars around. I was able to pop up immediately and still like walk. So like I feel like I didn't tear anything. And uh, as of now, like you know I have full mobility. I wouldn't say full mobility, but I have full flexibility with it. And it's a little sore, but I don't think I tore anything. And, uh, so I escaped it there, but yeah, that was, I I was concerned that I drunkenly tore my ACL 
in New Orleans on like the last day on some stupid like trying to jump over a puddle. <laughs> Kieran's like just it was, it was brutal. He's like limping very slowly out of the hotel, and I think I like out of the side of my eyes saw one of the employees just kind of chuckle a little bit. <laughs> I was wondering, it's like I wonder how they see this like every day, you know, someone just. Walking through the lobby, mm-hmm. not looking good. Yeah. Probably people in like I, I I can't imagine the things you would see working at a hotel in the French Quarter in New Orleans. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, probably a lot of things like worse than uh, than what uh, than what I experienced. But but yeah, so far so good. I think I'm gonna play my softball game next week. So boom, you gotta that, play. You gotta play. Yeah, last game of the year. I'm not not playing. Come on. Oh, now. you gotta play. You gotta play. One of the more old school things about me, I'm not a big believer in being injured. Uh, I rolled an ankle in a softball game earlier this year. I heard a pop. Stayed in the game. Yeah. It was really swollen that next night. And so I iced it, took some Advil, and next day I mowed the yard and it was, it was you know, yeah. swollen. My girlfriend was like, oh no, you need to rest. <laughs> it, was, it was fine. And like, still kind of hurt. It was fine. Yeah. Broke my pinky playing softball and played the it was first inning played the rest of the game what are you gonna do what are you gonna do <laughs> a true warrior true warrior two true wednesday because we play on wednesday nights true wednesday night hero over here kira here we <laughs> <laughs> uh we'll have a couple other tidbits uh, let me I'll, I'll i'll say this i'll say this for the listeners you guys can you can tweet at us at cody staven hagen i'm at kieran underscore steckley you can do it at Turn Corner Pod. You can DM us uh, if you wish. Uh, we have a couple like shenanigans stories that we want to make sure is on the up and up. Uh, just tell us if if you want to hear a story that involves someone's first experience at a gentleman's club. Not nothing graphic, <laughs> but just like small town Oklahoma kid sees it for the first time and what he thought what he thought it was like and then like what it was and if and if you guys want to hear that we'll tell it but if that's gonna like offend people we don't want to we don't we don't want to you know offend anybody's uh sensibility so nothing nothing graphic or anything i think we can probably share that it's fine it's a very harmless story yeah it's harmless and it's and it's funny uh given this guy's like naivety to basically anything outside of small town (laughs) oklahoma so so again, it's nothing. It's nothing over the top or anything, but it's just like his perspective on going into a gentleman's club. So we can share that in a future episode, I think. So if you want to hear it, please let us know at Cody David Hagen at Kieran or Steckley and at Turn Corner Pod. Cody, before we get out of here, anything else you want to share, my man? No, that that covers it. All right. Well, this was a quintessential off-season pod. I hope you guys enjoyed us just kind of going in every which direction. It won't be the last time we do it this offseason but i'll tell you what we have a lot of fun hope you guys have a lot of fun listening please subscribe on apple and spotify and give us a five-star review if you feel so inclined and i'll give the twitter plug once again at cody stavenhagen at kieran underscore steckley at turn corner pod and please subscribe to the athletic for more great offseason content from cody so for cody stavenhagen i'm kieran steckley everybody have an amazing week